Hello and welcome to part two of the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast interview with Tim Shovers. Not much to tell you about. We're just going to jump right back in here. Again, I will warn you though, there's a pretty racy story in this second part. So listener beware. Here we go. Tim Shovers. So far with the guys I've talked to in the podcast, uh, I've stayed with an older crowd. Part of that is, I mean, with the older, older crowd, part of it just is logistically, they may not be with us as long. So I need to get those stories down while I can. Part of it too is I've kind of kept a distance from myself a little bit so that I could be a little more impersonal in these situations to be able to sort of just not know answers and ask questions or whatever. And Victor and Marco are the one exception. They're, they're the most recent. And then I guess Stu, but even Stu, like we didn't cross over or anything. So with Victor and Marco, I had a little experience. Uh, but this is very different. You were arguably one of my first favorite campers. Oh, um, thank you. We had some great times at camp. Uh, I remember very clearly, this is a terrible story to say, but you came and visited me at Cabin 2 and you're like, what's this magazine you have on yourself? I was like, you want that? And you're like, I, 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 really? Can I have this magazine? Absolutely. I vividly remember that. We yeah. don't have to talk about what type of magazine it was or anything, but it, you know, I was just ha- it, passing a it gift just, along. You and I hit it off to the point where after every Batman movie, the Christopher Nolan one's like, I would email you afterwards. Absolutely. Like that's that, that. So we, yeah, we, we hit clicked yeah. immediately. And for me, uh, I came in as a staff guy, not being an Ojibwe guy, never being a camper. It took me a little time to click anyway. And so it was rare. I didn't have a lot of guys I clicked with early on. And so it was a big deal for me to have a guy, especially Camper H, who we really did. We hit it off right away. Well, I feel so I, f- I feel for the non-Illinois people. I know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> so that is part of why I was uh, interested in being here and, and putting you on the podcast, even though technically you fall into the younger guy category. Uh, that relationship that we had meant a lot to me camp-wise. And so I wanted to be able to kind of get that down, so to speak. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. um, Yeah, you were an excellent addition to camp, I just remember. I know you like to keep it impersonal, but like you really took the a lot of the rec hall guys, that's a hard job to fill. So, you know, you threw in that that Cabin 14 play Mm -hmm. and you're on top of it with Collegiate Week. So that was that was like an element that was uh, especially for those who love Collegiate Week to extent of every single element of it running on time. (laughs) Like that was not uh, underappreciated. Just (laughs) just so you know that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I do like that even to this day, whoever is running the rec hall steps out of that door and yells the name of the school exactly like I did. So yeah, that was an established thing for sure. Stunt night. Is that still like as important and going on and, and, with decent quality as ever? Or what's, what's the current status of stunt night? It's funny you ask it that way because We feel like we, I say we, uh, Elliot and I particularly have an interest in trying to keep it fresh, keep it of a good creative quality. In my head, the creative quality has dwindled some, and I don't necessarily know why. Maybe, you know, whether it's personality types, maybe it's cyclical. Elliot's theory is that they're never as good as they were. You know, his HMS Pinafore stunt in 1971 is going to be the greatest stunt ever, no matter what. They're never going to reach that quality. Yeah. But the, the, probably the truth is there's always one or two good stunts and everything else is terrible. <laughs> and it's yeah. always been that way. That's kind of the way he yeah. it. Uh, so we've tried a few things over the years. We tried the, uh, were you there when we implemented the, the object where each coach drew an object? That was my first year. Right. And so the stunt yeah. had to be written. My about first, the sorry, my last year, that was my first year as a head coach. Right. 
we had the uh, we had tennis ball was oh. our object. Yeah. Okay, that was a little uh, conceptually. It was an interesting idea. It, it didn't really work, but we've tried some different things along those lines. We've taken it where we've taken it completely away from camp and school. Now you can't even reference any even your school. Now you have to do other things. We we brought it back to the school. We've we've gone back and forth. But I will say, last year was a good sign. Last year was a good. Uh, a good crop of stunts. There was one that I think Jesse Pollins wrote a stunt last year that I told him was probably the best written stunt I've ever seen. Now the air force stunt is, has yeah. been known as the greatest stunt in modern era. And maybe you'll remember this or not, but during the last rehearsal, a couple guys messed up their lives or something. And I said to Lee that day, I said, if you guys pull this off, it'll be incredible. It'll be the greatest stunt ever. If one guy messes up, the whole thing falls apart and you're going to just, I remember it. Yeah. And you, I mean, Standing ovation the second the blackout hit the entire well, place. Well, Zach Sampson flubbed a line <laughs> and then recovered immediately, though. Yes. And, uh, and yeah, that was the only mistake we had. It was incredible. Yeah. So that, the best performed stunt I've ever seen, for sure. But there was a stunt last year. Jesse wrote a stunt that had such a subtle build to a great joke that was there the whole time that you just don't see that kind of finesse on the rec hall stage. Easily the best written stunt I've ever seen. So kudos to those guys. So there, so it's you know there is a there's a there's, it's coming back. Well, yeah, I, you mentioned like one or two. I have these great fond memories of stunt night, but I really only remember two or three from each year, right? Yeah. And a lot of it is just luck of the draw. Not only a counselor who has a knack for it in writing or directing it, but really, there's only going to be three or four funny, truly funny kids in camp each year, right? And that are of the age that can pull it off. They, they can pull it off, yeah. yeah. So. Really, those stunts are make or break with that. And if you just have a year where the quote unquote funniest kids in camp aren't as, aren't that funny, then it's just it's going to fall flat. I mean, the best are certain kids who you look forward to them in stunt night, and you yes. know they're going to nail it, and then they, and then they exceed your expectations. Absolutely, the whole Samson family is on that list for sure. Zach, Ben, Zach Jake. was Zach was a big part of uh, our stunt. The year before, you know, I was on his team. We did a, a Rudy Rudiger stunt. Sure, the was, Judy Judiger, of course. Judy Classic. Judiger. Yeah, Classic look at you remember that. Uh, that's one of my favorite. That's one of my top tens all time. There Absolutely. Was, there are a lot of stunts that I look back at, but uh, Dr. Mursky was a stunt in, with Jeff Mursky in 99 for Army. Uh, it was right when right after the second Austin Powers movie. So he was in a Dr. Evil type thing. And uh, like that, that one was great. There's one that my buddy kind and I joke about all the time. He was on 96 Illinois and there was, there were two kids from Mexico that summer. Oh, no. uh, and, uh, and so I <laughs> was Miguel and, and I have videotape of this stud. So I like, I still have like my first few years of videotapes on VHS. Nice. I still pop them in from time to time. And, uh, and they just did this, this dance with Miguel and they were Mexican hats. I mean, it was totally not politically correct. Uh, and totally off pace. But I just remember, uh, and Miguel was, uh, yelling in Spanish and clapping. It was, it was one of the funniest, uh, stunts to look back about. I'm trying to think some other stunts that I just, um, well, what did you ever hear about the stunt that got canceled that Elliot called it off in the middle? Well, now that has that has come to be a thing that has happened a few times now. Okay. But I think is this the Navy stunt? Is the one this is ninety eight pen? Oh, tell me more. Not ninety eight pen. Sorry, uh, was it? No, they were good that year with David K. This is I think this is ninety nine pen, where uh, spotlight was a big part of the, the spotlight in the back was a big part of it. Where okay. uh, they first off they were making fun of a counselor there. It was not one of the more popular counselors at camp that year, uh, and. 
uh, there was a drop the soap joke oh. and it involved the spotlight moving away and Elliot ran up and immediately just, that's it. We're done here. <laughs> and I never, I'd been a camp long enough to know that like that doesn't happen. Right. Uh, and, and I, so the, have you heard about song night? Has anyone told you about I have. that? And in fact, um, you don't know this, but now we have separated song and stunt again. So okay. that now, now you may be talking about, well, are you talking about when it was separate? So you yeah, my first three by years we had separate song yeah. and stunt. So night. we've gone back to that now. How's that worked out? Uh, I think that that has helped with the creativity. I think that's been a piece that we've done that has actually helped with the writing of the stunts because they get the song out of the way. Two days in, you're, you're at song night, you're doing it, boom, 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 and you can move on. Plus, you get an extra spot of creativity with the cheer. So you get a chance to... So what, whatever. what's the practice, what's the rehearsal time like they get, uh, so the teams are picked Tuesday on Thursday night, you're going to perform song and cheer. So you have two rec hall rehearsals and then, okay. However much time you see, can figure out in 94 to 96, it was a little bit different where I, it started right away. The rehearsals. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I would say Wednesday you're doing song rehearsals and, I don't remember which nights they were. Uh, I want to say maybe Friday and Saturday night. But my point is, you never stopped rehearsing uh, for song and stunt during college week. Right. Like it was intense, and uh, to the point where, like back then, with every meal being weighted, so you're on this team and you're practicing song and stunt the entire time until the end, and you're eating every single meal together. So you spent a lot of time with your team. Yeah, back then. Yeah, that's also something they've changed uh, because camp tended to get away from the cabin aspect over the last few weeks or last 10 days of camp. So now all meals are with your cabin. Okay, I was going to say that. Okay, I'm so glad you brought that up because I always felt that we should do that, especially as a guy not from Chicago. I'm thinking these are my last few meals with these with Ojibwe people in my cabin for for 10 months. Right. And yet I'm always spending it with kids older and younger with me who are just on my team. And I always thought that was a miss on camp's part. Yep. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad I, they went back to that. Do they still do this? This is my other big Kujik uh, pet peeve. Do they still penalize kids for missing uh, meds and infirmary during Kujik? Well, missed meds, uh, lost clothing, okay, missed meds um, and lost clothing are all of those sort of both dirty in cabins. Um, they also, I, they all fall into a category that I would call creative scorekeeping. And that is if you can make the week a little, you know, if, if a lost piece of clothing makes the week particularly dramatic in a certain way, maybe that lost piece of clothing comes into play. If a team is 35 points out a day to go, the clothing's never going to matter. Well, I just, I always felt that with the clothing and the infirmary is that the lost clothing skewed young. All right. So sure, of course, uh, skew, I mean, just nine year olds are going to miss their clothes more than 15 year olds. And I always felt like it was an unfair punishment in full camp embarrassment to the few space cadets who just misplaced their towel or their shirt. When being a young kid on a collegiate week team, anyone that's been on a prep knows that's a real tough thing when you're getting screamed at already all week from older right. guys. And then the infirmary thing, though, I don't understand how certain kids who take their meds every day don't remember to take it. Like that's just something I'm sure you agree with me on this. Yeah. I'll just never understand. Right. Like, Absolutely. Uh, but it's, there are some kids who, you know, you get something, you got to start taking meds. I always thought like, cause then it goes on the, the embarrassment continues. You got kids getting called out and paged to the, to the infirmary. I just felt like you didn't need to have those penalties. I felt 
cabin cleanup should be penalized. Yeah. That I totally got. Like, this is the most important time of year. Let's not screw around with the cleanup because yeah. kids are discre- distracted as they were. But that was always a huge pet peeve of mine, and we wrote an editorial about that. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, honestly, I mean, I can't remember us taking a point from any team other than cabin cleanup in probably four or five years. Now, cabin cleanup, if they fail every kid gets a point off and if you have two in the you know whatever it is well i heard you talk about how you were really real a real stickler uh with with cleanup oh, sure and and this is one of those things where everyone looks back on their time was more intense but i do re- cleanup was particularly intense my first few years at camp to the point where you didn't get treats if you got an eight had to get a nine or ten wow and well, you still had nesper too right was nesper doing the grading nesper and fine did the did yeah. the grading and you know if you like if if you got beds as a check they would write L1 or L or R2. Mm. They would they would call out the beds. I think that stopped. Has that come back at all? Uh, that has come back a little bit. I was more uh, non-specifically penalizing the cabin in the sense that the team, I shouldn't pick on a single kid. Yeah. The team should know they failed. That's it. Uh, Tamir took over after I did, and he got real specific, including um, uh, a decimal point. Was Whoa. introduced, okay, <laughs> and so there were there were percentages of points you would lose instead of just a check or an X. You you might lose a percentage of a point or something, and so he got all over the place with that. He got real specific. Here here's an important question I want to ask you: What's with the flags in Collegiate Week? What's going on with that? Like, because Miami won, so that's a new thing. Are they when when a new school wins? Are they giving them their plaque and how are they fitting it in? Because that there's not a lot of real estate in that back wall. That's true. That's a great call. Oh, so far so good. Uh, so far, they everyone who has been new and introduced has gotten up there, and now they're a little more 3D than they once were. So there might be like one, and then sort of between two, there's one a little two or three inches in front of it, but you can still see all of them. Do you know the Iowa one, Iowa 47? Sure. Can I tell you the story about Iowa 47? Please do. This is, I think this is my favorite thing that I've, I've left to Camp Ojibwa. One night, Michael Kine and I are in Camp 14, and we are going through every champion. Kine, Kine and I... Uh, you know, this was our thing uh, to the point where, like, if you tell me who asked in 1940, I could tell you Northwestern because I know 40, 50, and 61. Like, I remember the groupings of those plaques. And we were going through it, and we couldn't think of 47 one night. And it was just like no – and then we were asking everyone. No one knew 47. And we wake up early to go to breakfast, which you don't go to breakfast a whole lot in Cam 14. Yeah. I don't know if those have changed. but no, not really. Uh, and – like food didn't need to wake us up that morning. Let's put it that way. We run in the mess hall. We're sitting back there. We're staring at it and we don't see 47 on the wall. And I'm like, there's no 1947 champion back there. And certainly the, you know, it's way too old. The plaque wasn't in the mess hall at all. Right. And I tell Denny that day and I'm thinking, even though I'm only 16, I know that there are way more important priorities that day to Denny than that. Sure. But he genuinely, genuinely seemed interested when I brought that up to him and like, was like and cared about that. I didn't hear anything from him. And then on Friday night dinner, about a week and a half, two weeks later, we look up and we just see that Iowa plaque shoved in between whatever it's between Illinois and Indiana or whatever, or after Indiana. Uh, but, and we just started going nuts and, and the whole table, everyone got all excited. And uh, cause apparently Denny called up, an old time camper. Uh, it might've even been Posen's grandfather who you had on Edelstein. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he had the warrior and looked it up. That's awesome. And then, uh, and, and then like, so I thought that was a really cool thing where Denny took time out of his day to, for this, like P 
piece of collegiate week trivia. Like, and that was really cool that that meant something to him and that, uh, and then it got its recognition. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. A piece of trivia you'll, you'll care about. So do you remember the first year that's up there? Like the first champion? Mm-hmm. Is that 37 Ohio? It's 37 Chicago. Chicago yeah. It's 37, 38 are both Chicago. Uh, I have confirmed basically through my travels that 37 is the first collegiate week, that there is not one before it. And we don't, the only reason we know about 37's winner is because they didn't do Warriors until 38. Before 38, they, they did a medicine man pretty early on. And at the end of the year, they would just bundle up all the medicine men and send them home with you. And that was like the yearbook. But in 38, they did an original book where they wrote up each kid yeah. and whatever. And in the 38 warrior, they not only mentioned, but they mentioned that Chicago has now won back to back. And that's how we know. Oh, that's, and that's the first one. You're, you're so a historian. Go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one thing about you with the Ohio's are that really those are Ohio States. There's like a mixture of the Ohio, like, um, in the plaques, where it says 69 Ohio on the plaque. Right. But then Food Train said it was 69 Ohio State. I, but I heard him on the, on oh, the podcast. Yeah. And there's also 54 head coach for Pearl Harris. Uh, I remember that. Nice. I don't know if I remember that. And uh, like that was Ohio State, but it's listed as Ohio. Because don't they share a plaque back there? At least in my day. Oh, yeah. Is the Ohio... But wait, is there is there an Ohio plaque that's white and green like Ohio? Like Ohio, like the Bobcats. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't an Ohio State not, one. So oh, they, it had 54, 58, 63, 69. Uh, and then it jumped up to 98 with, right. with student Iskins here. Oh, that's interesting. I'll have to check into that. Turtle Harris's uh, older brother, Alan, longtime Atlanta guy. Like, oh, okay. I interviewed him while I was down there. Fascinating. He was at camp in the 40s before Turtle. Are you speaking of that stuff? Are you responsible for the TBT of the Collegiate Week plaques? Uh, on the Ojibwe Instagram account? Uh, probably not the more recent ones. Um, some other guys have started to help with the social media presence. That so, is the coolest thing. I, I can't tell you. I just the other day, sixty Princeton was posted. All right, that's a plaque I used to see every single day, three days, three times a day, and I haven't seen that thing in a, in a decade. And I and it just brought such a smile to my face. So, you know, so I hope that continues. Well, I'm happy to report here. I don't know that it's been said, but uh, once we get past the coffee table book, that the website will have the, the plaque project has already been, the photographs have already been taken. So on the website, the history site, you'll be able to go to every year, every plaque, click on it and bring it up. And then hopefully, eventually we can get it to a point where it's tagged and cross-referenced. So we can tag people's names, tag people's oh, names across the whole thing, and you'll be able to search that's people. It. That's it. That's, that's my week. That's a whole weekend for me. Just yeah. read that stuff. So, but, my, but so the pictures will be up. What are your favorite plaques? Wow. Great call. Uh, 69 gets a lot of press, right? Because it's right at the back of the rec hall. It's as beautiful. It's colorful. Um, a lot of big names on it, too. Sure. Because you got... Two, you got Dave and Rick Matazar, and the Mazars are a big presence in my era. You had mm-hmm. three of them. Uh, and then you have Food Train, and, uh, and then Steve Elrod's on. Sure. So Ken, it's like Ken and, Rafi's and, back there, and you, do you don't remember, do you have the head coach. Feldman. Just because I see it. Duke Gutterman? Duke Gutterman. There yes. you go. Yeah. Uh, like, I used to stare at that so much to the point where the first time I met Food Train, I heard his name. He was introduced to the lineup. I said, oh, he was on the 69 Ohio team. Yeah. Like, like that's, yeah, that one gets, that has the best location. Absolutely. And that, so it gets a lot of good buzz for that. I personally, I love the campfire. Is that 72? I think that's that's the, 72 and Elliot one with Navy. Yeah. Yeah. I love those. Uh, I think there are a lot of great ones that are sort of hidden no, in the rafters. No, now. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The, f- are you talking about the firewood? The one, yeah. So it's wood on the bottom and like a flaming campfire on top. I think that's actually, that's 68 army and 72 oh, Navy are the chief heads. I believe. Uh, Elliot won both of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's 68 Army. 
There's some fun ones hiding. I mean, there's the Wisconsin Badgers have a whole year to themselves. Year to themselves, <laughs> yeah, in '88, but uh, ironically, Illinois won. So right. Illinois' collegiate league plaque right. are the are the Badgers. My favorites, I think '92 and '93 are the best. Uh, great location to right in the middle of that mess hall. Oh, right. Sure. And the, w- the way they incorporated the light mm-hmm. from when Danny gets mad and it's too loud in the mess hall to the <laughs> sun, uh, the sunset overneath the, the above the waterfront with 92 Illinois. I just love in the 93 Princeton. Uh, I think it's a really good one too. My favorite collegiate plaques. I love 86 Alabama where they're the rec hall. Sure. And then the, the cabins are the other champions. I have a little bit of bad news for you. Uh, those have been condensed. They are no longer four panels long. They are one panel long. All the names have been moved, but okay. I'm sorry. Could have gone without that piece of information, but uh, 83, the lily pads with Cal Berkeley. Oh, sure. Those are classic. Those are good ones. And I, uh, oh, with those though, you have to have the Indian in the canoe. Those is that 79. I think that's an Illinois year. So it's either 71 or 79. It's the um, water on the bottom. And then the guy in the canoe with the headdress on yeah, top. Those Michael, are the frogs to go together. Michael Kai and I used to do virtual mess hall trivia to each other. We'd be like, all right, so I'm over here, and then I get a glass of water, but then I so like, and then you had to figure out what plaque you're at. Uh, I love, what other plaques do I love? Um, well, mine, 96 Harvard, we have a terrible location. We're on the bottom, oh, yeah. right by the, the yeah, plate. Yeah, they basically tried to hide you. Uh, t- yeah, and um, what are some other? Oh, my favorite is 90 Air Force, okay? They won, uh, Seth Marks was actually sure. on that team. To the point where there's two, not one, but two slogans on the plaque. Tell me which, which plaques are they? 90. I don't remember what they are. I don't, it's like? all you got and it's all right to get knocked down, but it's not all right to lie there. Like, I don't know how they got two, two slogans That's on great. there, but this, they somehow did. Nice. And then I also in the, right along the wall. So the, the wall that separates the mess hall from the kitchen, right? There's some really faded out plaque that has a prep week on it in Georgia tech one yes. prep week that year, which as an Atlanta guy, I, I always enjoyed that. Thing. Yeah. And I never really found out the story about prep week. And, uh, well in those days, so, uh, in those days, prep didn't really play leagues. So prep were, cause they weren't big enough and their age ranges were all over the place. Cause you could come to camp at five or six. Yeah. And so you couldn't, it was hard to put together a league of five and six year olds with 10 year olds and whatever. Uh, so what they started to do was that was the beginnings of finding ways for them to compete and have a plaque. Because when you look back at those old ones and you see Watermelon League, that's just softball in the 50s and 60s. But that's because it was the oldest kid's softball. So then there would be soccer and basketball also. But that was just basically older kids. And Collegiate Week was only varsity and junior varsity. No prep. You've you've done your research. I'm impressed. With that with softball, uh, very little Ojibwa presence in Atlanta. I mean, we're talking minuscule. Sure. But I remember growing up uh, at the club we belonged to, there was this guy called the Tan Man and Silver Dollar Al, all right? And I even forget his last name, but somehow it came. My dad, in a conversation with him, found out he went to Ojibwa, all right? Uh, Silver Dollar Al may be Alan Harris, Turtle, oh. Turtle's older brother, very much so. Is he, may is he really tan? He's really tan. Okay, then this is it. All right, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he had not one but two nicknames. The only person in the club who had a nickname, and he had two of them. Uh, and uh, so my dad asked like about Ojibwa, and he said, you know, back in my fucking day, we only played fucking softball. 
every morning, every fucking afternoon, every fucking night. Uh, you know, now we didn't play fucking volleyball. We didn't play fucking Nukem. We didn't play fucking soccer. <laughs> like it was like, I, I got it. Softball used to be a really big deal at camp. I get it. Uh, softball is always my favorite sport though, but basketball was clearly the most important of my time. Right. And from what I'm hearing that has not changed in the slightest. Yeah. And I mean, look, you know, we can talk until it's, it's Jordan. It's just Jordan. It's simply Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan created the, the change to basketball being the important sport and to being the individual sport. I mean, you know, is it okay to say that in, in an ESPN radio station? No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, no he, arguments. He yeah. created, he, and For then Chicago by, li- by lineage, Kobe created the be like Mike, don't be like the team, be like Mike, be the individual player. So that became, you know, you could go out and you and I both went out and shot hoops all day, every day. We'd go out after school, we'd shoot hoops. You'd shoot it in the yard. You'd go to camp and shoot, just shoot hoops. Why? Because you want to be that player. You're that guy. Now, we, we love this guy. We love watching this guy play basketball. Now, I can be a guy. I don't even have to have a whole team and be the guy. And it changed making that sport that much more popular. Does watermelon still play first activity in the morning? Absolutely. I'm glad that tradition continues. <laughs> even to the point where, you know, camp goes on, it's the third week or it's the sixth week, and you got late courts, and you kind of drag yourself out there. It's a lot of games. But, uh, yeah, watermelon morning basketball is a, a great tradition. Yeah. And uh but softball for me, I just absolutely love 16 inch. Uh, did you play 16 in Atlanta at all? Or did it you like bring exist. it back and like try to show people how to play or anything? I would bring it up. They look at me like I was an alien. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? No gloves. I mean, it is, I play softball here, but it's, uh, let's just call it a 12 inch. Sure. Uh, and with gloves, I mean, I really think 16 inch, I don't even think it would exist in Peoria or Springfield. I think it's mm. truly a Chicago thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to hear these guys going all the way back. 50s, 40s, 30s, guys. Yeah, 16-inch softball. That's Chicago ball. All the way back, these guys talk about it. It is a uh, – it is a. I mean, just think about it. I mean, you're playing softball with your bare hands. Yeah, you need a ball and a stick. That's it. Now you're playing a game. My One of my favorite things of, of camp was I got to pitch in the Trojan-Spartan game, and I pitched in an SC game once. Uh, you know, being a pitcher, that was so cool. I took that thing so seriously sure. being a pitcher. Uh, it's uh, – but it's, it's funny, like your pitcher at softball is one of the most unique positions at, at Ojibwa because it's a very important position. But anytime where there'd be another pitcher, they need to move me like it's not like they move you to short, you know, right. <laughs> you know? Uh, it's, it's one of those weird. It's one of those weird things where not the great athletes can kind of have like the super important role. It's like right. that and goalie, I would say. Oh, yeah. In, in hockey and, and soccer for the little mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And two, pitcher at camp. I mean, in your day, maybe you still saw Denny pitch, but like if there were staff games, certainly Joel pitched. Joel always. pitched. Really, he stopped right as I got older. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Joel was a fixture in the SCJC games. Yeah. For sure. And before that, it was Denny. And it had been Denny for a lot of years. So I didn't know that until. Do we still have a lot of SCJC games? How's yeah, that work? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the directors have, have understood, you know, let's step back a little bit, let the boys play. Uh, but absolutely still a lot of good challenge games and JC 14 games. And You know, it used to exist. And this stopped. This happened my first like four or five years. It used to be a soccer game. All right. A staff soccer game. Have you heard about this? I don't know. Uh, on the far fields. Okay. All right. So this is, this stopped in like 98 or 99 and it was us against foreigners. Nice. All right. And it was intense. All right. And they would, they, they didn't just play like on far field one. They would, uh, put the goals, oh, like go long ways and play the whole. Yeah. Go to go long ways. So one goal would be in far field one, one goal would be in far field three. 
and uh, and then there'd be sidelines, and so you'd have basically the entire camp on the U.S. sideline, and there'd be like four kids <laughs> who didn't have a passport yet or whatever who were on the around the four, like rooted for their foreign staff. That's amazing, and it was really intense. And guys got hurt. Uh, Robin Jaska, we called him Jaska, but I think his J might have been silent. Robin Jaska was awesome at it, and uh, I think actually I think he's legitimately the best athlete I ever saw on the Cambridge wow. Grounds. Uh, have you have you been told about Robin? I mean, I've heard his name over the years, but not like from the Czech in Republic. This he started as a as a K staff guy, became a staff man, and a very rare move. Yeah, there like was one other guy, guys. Yeah, like Jason Manton. Oh, Jason Manton did it later. Oh, Jason Manton. Yeah. yeah, I remember Manton. Yeah, uh, but that's like yeah. There's been like five guys ever who've done that, and he was just awesome at these soccer games. I remember he picked up, he never played basketball before he came to America. He picked that up. He got real good at it. He was a great tennis player. Probably the best tennis player I saw at camp. And, uh, those games got super intense. Like there were fouls and that was, you did not miss that game. And and the, the, the chance got real intense, but I think the game got so crazy that camp kind of pulled back on that one. Yeah. But it was really fun to see the foreign staff who, you know, you didn't, weren't involved in, in a lot of things at camp. Right. They, this was their moment in the sun to shine. Right. And you would see like, wow, I didn't know he was a good athlete. Right. And you would see how, and how big a soccer was to them. You know, it was, it was like, all right, enough of this basketball and softball stuff. Let's, <laughs> right. let's play the real deal for us. Yeah. Uh, That's very cool. I mean, that, would they even be able to feel the team now based on the way that, well, I mean, I think there was a time in the mid two thousands where they would do that on the, uh, on the rink, they would play a soccer game and it would be a lot of kitchen staff. It wouldn't even be, but uh, this wasn't even kitchen staff. This was yeah. like, this is how many foreign staff there were. Right. It was just yeah. actual just, cabin staff. There's basically none. I mean, there's basically, you know, we had one guy last year who's actually coming back. You have one or two guys a year now that are foreign staff that are regular staffmen, but it's just all, you know. One of my biggest regrets of camp, and I was thinking about this, I didn't think about this till recently, is so I had, I had one foreign staff counselor, sometimes two, every single year. Didn't really talk to them a whole lot about their background and stuff. And looking back on it, I'm really disappointed. Like these people were from Australia or New Zealand. I remember I had Robin from Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Israel guys, like I went to a Jewish school, so I, I knew the whole Israel story. Sure. I didn't, I didn't need to be, Tamir didn't need to fill me in on that one, <laughs> but like I didn't ask some questions about what life was like back there. Yeah. And the experiences that they were, this was someone from Czech Republic who lived in the same place as me for two months. And I never thought to ask him about yeah. what life was like. I, I, that totally was a, was a miss on my part. But again, I was a little kid and, and didn't care, but that's one of those things where if I could speak to them now, like I would, to- or if I was co-counselors them now, I would ask them a million questions. Yeah. That's great advice for sure. And it, it, it is a shame that we don't have a, I mean, we have the big block of, of Belizean guys. Um, but outside of that, yeah. Uh, it's one or two guys a summer and then the kitchen staff. So that is dwindled, and it just is because we have so many homegrown staff guys now. Courtesy of our cabin. Courtesy of your cabin. Yeah, <laughs> starting the tradition. So as we get toward the, as we're wrapping up a little bit, uh, there's a couple last things I always like to ask, which you're probably already prepped on. So first, I'll say uh, you're a grown up now. You got a grown up job. We're sitting at your grown up job as I we would speak. call radio grown up job, but I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm jealous of it. Listen, uh, so. Looking back on the life that you have led thus far, how would you say your time at camp influenced what you do now or who you are now? It's certainly a strong influence. Uh, I would say a few things want to help cultivate my love of sports. And I, I work now in sports radio. So that's, that's clear how important that stuff is to me. Uh, I would say, you know, you mentioned 
it's not the reason why I got into radio because I always wanted to do this stuff and do broadcasting, but certainly was helped by being on staff and getting to do that Medman and mm. radio stuff that, that you talked about. So yeah. uh, I would say it gave me confidence. Like, so I moved to DC. I only knew, I didn't know that many people when I moved to Washington, DC. I'm not from the East coast. I'm from the South. I had a lot of Midwest ties, but I would say being thrown into the whole new world out here, I drew upon those experiences of being a little kid sure. at camp uh, and not knowing anyone. And I would say those are probably the, the biggest ones. I would also learn that um, I work with mostly all guys, right? I work in sports radio. So understanding the, the male ego and male, the agendas everyone mm. has. Um, I think I learned that from Ojibwa where you sort of see oh, that's interesting. everyone's yeah. got their, we don't need to go into detail on that, but you get what I'm saying where sure. their own thought processes on everything and, and sort of understanding that work, working with, with others who might be a little intense. Is yeah. What I'd say. Yeah. Nice. And as always, last but not least, tell me one more great camp story. So my cabin 14, I'm not going to say his name, but <laughs> in cabin 14, we had not only TV in the living room, there was no TV by the jacuzzi, but we had right. TVs in our in each of our rooms. And in room five, we had a VCR, uh, Rifkin's television. I think we were like one of two that had a VCR. Nice. So um, what are among the great movies of our time? What else can you watch on VCR that isn't a comedy or a drama? Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's so one uh, cab member of ours, he didn't have a VCR in his room. And so he asked us a few times, like, hey, can I, uh, can I pop in a video for a few minutes? You might, I'll lock the door. You just give me some time here alone. And so sure, we respect that. And then uh, we came up with a great idea that we should, we should <laughs> film and put a camera, uh, put a camera next to the TV and see what happens. And uh, I love that you're telling this story. And we, and we hid, we hit the camera and, uh, and got the whole thing on, on video. And now when he, you, now you don't see him end. So there's that, but he's before he walks out back into the delivery and everyone knows what he's doing. You see him take time, put his hat on all a certain way and, uh, incredibly embarrassing. And then a few days later, we, we waited till the right time. We, he went in the shower and we, right as he got out of the shower, he popped in the recording. We were able to, to sync up, and, and so on the TV he walks out and he sees video of himself doing it. And it was, I mean, talk about a hysterical story that you'll never forget. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, listen, man, I cannot thank you enough. This has been awesome. Oh, this has been great. It's been great. The so. pleasure's all on this side of the mic. Please. Thanks. Okay, there it is. Another one in the books, Tim Shovers. Uh, two parts, great talk. Obviously, I had a great time. I think Tim had a great time. We really enjoyed hanging out together, getting to talk about camp, telling some pretty pretty crazy stories. Uh, it was awesome. As always, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you know how. Drop me an email, Christopher at CampOjibbaHistory.org. Or just swing by the website, check out the new homepage, pick up your brick if you have not done so already. And uh, check out some of the new stuff going up there. Some of the Medicine Men issues that, uh, that Tim helped write are there now. You can check those out. And um, 
if you're happen to be, if you happen to be interested in former camper now soon to be world series player jason kipnis uh you can actually read about kipnis in some of those medicine men that tim wrote so check that out also save the date may 6th 2017 if you are even remotely connected to camp you probably got an email about it this week but if you don't know may 6th 2017 the ojibwa 90 oj 90 the biggest celebration ever uh for camp ojibwa so check that out you're going to want to be there 90th summer reunion all right, that's it. I'm going to get out of here. It's a miserable, rainy day here in Highland Park. It's going to probably keep me from having a cigar.